Welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Timonini. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with Tony and Drama Desk nominated director and choreographer Marsha Milgram Dodge. Marsha is one of the most in-demand directors working in regional theater around the country, and her next show is down here in Florida at the Malt Jupiter Theater, and it is a completely reimagined production of Jersey Boys that will be running October 25th through November 13th. In our conversation, we talk about how she approaches any show, whether it's something that is beloved and well-known to audiences like Jersey Boys or something completely new. She also tells me that she's never actually seen Jersey Boys, which to me seems completely unfathomable, but it does bring her a different ability to look at the show with fresh eyes. We also discuss how her experience as a dancer and a choreographer allows her to tell stories in a different way like she does here with Jersey Boys. We discuss her beloved and critically acclaimed production of Disney's Beauty and the Beast at the Olney Theater Center that ran last year before beginning shut down early because of COVID and will be returning this holiday season. And then she talks a little bit about why she enjoys, one, working at the Malt Jupiter down here in Florida, but also working at so many different theaters around the country. We, of course, will have information in the show notes on where you can get tickets to see Jersey Boys at the Malt's Jupiter Theater running here for the next few weeks. So with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Marsha Milgram Dodge. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this. This is a, an exciting show. I, I think this is it's always interesting to me when. There is a production of a show like Jersey Boys that for now, you know, decades, getting close to two decades, so many people know that original Broadway version or the tour or the even the most recently the off-Broadway tour. And then when a major theater outside of New York gets the opportunity to do the show, how that transforms the, the production from what we know originally. As you are coming in to do this new production of Jersey Boys, how do you kind of re-examine it and put your own spin on it as to something that people might not have ever seen before? Well, the first thing I do with any show that I get, whether it's an old show or a new show, is treat it as if it's new. Mm-hmm. So I never saw Jersey Boys on Broadway. I never oh, wow. saw the tour. I actually saw it from backstage. <laughs> I I was shadowing a stage manager. I just wanted to see the octopus nature of her job back there. And um, so I really watched the show from a monitor and a and a offstage le- uh, offstage right calling little booth area that was set up for her. And um, that was fascinating to to sit in the back of the theater, you know, of the of the actual stage and watch the show take place. And I have worked with Des Mack enough before I've seen much of his work and I know sort of a little bit of his methodology. And so it was interesting to um, watch it from there. But uh, as far as a director, uh, our job is to open the script, read this, read the text and listen to what I always reference as the original Broadway cast recording, because that is made usually when the creatives are all in the room together. And so choices are made about phrasing and tempo and um, all of that. So I always go back to the original Broadway cast recording and the script as if it was handed to me hot off the presses. And I don't watch YouTube. I don't go down any kind of rabbit hole of seeing what other directors' choices might have been on things. I come at it from my own sensibilities and my own point of view. And as a woman of a certain age and um, growing up in Detroit, 
uh, in the 60s and 70s, I have a relationship to the world of this play on a very personal level. Um, I won't say the Four Seasons were my band per se, but I listened to them on the radio. I was around their music in the you know the early part of my formative years, and I have a relationship to other aspects of this story um, that are interesting and exciting, and and uh, and that I get to bring to the company and share with them and encourage them to explore and uh, examine these characters in a full-bodied way as if they're getting the chance to do it from day one. So, you know, I, if someone were staging Jersey Boys at the Maltz Jupiter Theater and it looked exactly like the Broadway production, they, then it should have been staged by somebody that Des appointed and, or, you know, assigned to maintain his work. But that's not what I'm doing. I'm doing original work um, found as you know that i find in the text and the other thing i love to do is kind of smuggle in deeper meaning meaning i like to dig underneath the text and really find out what makes these characters tick and what their relationships are not just to each other but to their instruments and to the other people that they come in contact with so it's a lot of exploring and navigating and wrestling and um you know and then as a choreographer i bring all of my uh background as a dancer and as the dan and, and having danced the twist and the frug and the jerk <laughs> and the pony in my real life it's fun to go back and revisit all the dances that were popular in the 60s and um and explore those with a young company who never heard of the watusi or the hitchhiker or the locomotion <laughs> uh so that's been really fun too um exploring the way the show moves choreographically as well as it moves, you know, through the evolution of this amazing band. You talk about kind of going back to that original text, whether the text is actually the physical words on the page or the original cast album. As you were kind of going through that, what were the threads that you decided to pull on that might have been either there just on that surface level, or you mentioned kind of going deeper on some of these things than might perhaps have been done in previous versions of Jersey boys. Yeah. And it's not just, I don't, I don't do anything to be different than, sure. you know, I, I start conversations with designers and they approach the, the show from their point of view. And today I even walked in the costume shop. Mika Eubanks is my costume designer and we have, um, we have, you know, a plan. And then she said, after she saw the designer run through, she had a new idea and she shared it with me today. So everything is evolving as we go, you know, so it's not, we come in with a big plan of how to do things. And then we are flexible as actors make choices that maybe I didn't think of in my preparation. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so illuminating for that moment and so important. And maybe it goes by really quickly, but the fact that we investigated it and we put it in there and it lands, um, it's great. You know, the, the show moves, it's, it's nonstop music. Even when they're talking, mm -hmm. it's underscored. So there's a tempo and a timing that you're kind of 
strictly having to follow. And any time that the music stops and I can expand and breathe and take a little bit more time to dig into the characters, that's an opportunity that I welcome and encourage my actors to um, also do with me. So there's a there's definitely this is a show that moves to a particular beat. And um, it's important for me to make sure we do the highs and the lows, the dark stuff and the light stuff, and really get in there and mine it for all it's worth. I don't know if that answered your question. No, uh, no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just always fascinated with the way that a director approaches uh, a work because it sometimes feels like from an audience perspective that this is just such a massive undertaking that you don't even know where to begin. And I guess the the old saying is, is how do you eat the whole thing is, you know, one bite at a time. But I do wonder, as you're talking about this with your background as a dancer and, and a choreographer, and obviously you've had so much success as, as a director, but what is it that you find the most enjoyable about this process? Is yeah. it, is it well, diving think, in or what is it? Yeah. yeah. Let me jump back to the, the other question. Cause you said, what did you find in there that, you know, other yeah. people may not have found. And, and the thing, when I opened the the script and I started reading, I'm one of four sisters. Oh, so I understand the dynamics of four. And there is something interesting about these four guys who are from Jersey, but they're not blood related. They're not, but they are brothers and they behave like brothers. You know, I always say that sisters can fight about, you know, you stole my sweater, my favorite sweater, and you wore it and now give it back to me. And then you kind of have this fight and then you go, okay, where are we having lunch? And I think there's a, there's, there's an element of that with these four guys. They, they bicker, they 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 challenge each other, they test each other, and in the long run, they're brothers. They're always going to be bonded together. They're always going to be tied in some way to each other, even though historically we know, because you can Google everything, right? Yeah. We know that Tommy and Frankie probably never spoke when they broke up, when he left, when Tommy left, you know, left the band. And, and we try to examine the impact of that on our storytelling, because our story does go from the fifties to the year 2000. So we spend most of our time in the fifties and the sixties, but there is, you know, for spoiler alert, there is a rock and roll hall of fame moment. So that is something that took place in the nineties. And the show starts in the in the year 2000 with a cover of one of their songs. So it's it jumps around and it's important. And so I would say the biggest themes of the evening are our family, community, brotherhood and friendship. And all of that is being tested through the music and the storytelling of these songs and how they teach each other and and uh, antagonize each other, um, just like families do. Right. Yeah. They love and they love each other so much they want to punch them. <laughs> it's yeah. like you know, so it's like um, that thing you always say, like I can make fun of my little brother, but nobody else better do it, or, exactly. or they're going to have to answer and I, to me. Yeah, and you see that in this. You see the way that Tommy protects Frankie, and that he he tries to you know take him under his wing, and then at some point Frankie is going to fly a little higher than Tommy ever did. So we really love to lean into that relationship and see the effects of that, and how does that affect Tommy as he's growing up as well. So, you know, these are four really colorful characters with a lot of uh, colorful characters around them, 
um, Chip DiCarlo and Bob Crew and uh, Joe Pesci. So, you know, there's a lot of, Mm -hmm. you know, we're having a lot of fun in rehearsal, but we're also mining the painful moments in a way that I hope, you know, will make grown men cry a little bit when they see the show. So, Is is that the the thing that you most gravitate towards as a director is kind of peeling back the layers on characters. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, acting is doing, um, the nature of acting is not, is, is that you're doing, you're always in the state of doing something. You're trying to get somewhere. You're trying to achieve, you're trying to achieve an objective and you're working against obstacles and that basic structure, which comes from Stanislavski really, um, mm-hmm. uh, is the way that you go through stories because there's always going to be something in the way of your hero getting what they want, right? There's, there's going to be dragons to slay. And I, you know, and I say that, you know, emotionally, right? So characters are always fighting for something. And I think that's what makes theater so exciting. And what I want to see on stage is a character ferociously fighting for what they want. And in this show, in Jersey Boys, they get to do it singing and dancing and acting and using every fiber of their being to pursue their objectives. And that's what's exciting for me, um, is to help give them a playground in which that can happen. And um, especially knowing my audience here at the Maltz Jupiter Theater, mm-hmm. I'm, I leaned into what the nostalgia of this piece means and the fact that it's being told by four very unreliable narrators. Um, so how does that color the production? How does that uh, inspire my designers? That's the kind of conversations I like to have. Yeah, I, I love the idea of this show. It's called, you know, Jersey Boys, but everyone knows the story of the four seasons. And while that is obviously the name of the band and there are four original members of the group, it also does kind of have this cyclical nature with the four different narrators kind of having their own say as the story continues. When you go in to kind of frame these different quarters of the show, so to speak, does each one have its own approach? Do you kind of go at it looking at the entire totality of the production during that segment through the eyes of whoever the narrator is at that time? Or do you kind of look at it as one big piece and they're each coming in to fit in? Or, or how do you differentiate? Well, you're going to have Tommy? to come and see the show, That's That's Matt. I can't tell you that. Okay. I mean, we have, we have, yes, we are <laughs> aware that they are narrating in different seasons, that the seasons metaphor becomes something important for our storytelling and that they, that we go from, you know, spring to summer to uh, we, we go, I think from spring to summer to autumn to winter. So, and that, that's a, that's a, a a roadmap for anybody navigating the show design wise, acting wise, Tommy DeVito is our first narrator. He has a very strong point of view. Then comes, you know, Bob Gaudio followed by Nick Massey followed by Frankie. So it's, you know, everybody has their point of view and there is going to be hints reflected in our production design for sure. Um, but I'm not going to tell you what, okay. you know, you're going to have to come and see that. Yeah. I told you before, I didn't want to spoil anything before yeah, we started recording. Yeah. So I didn't, I, I was just curious. So that's good yeah, to know. Yeah, of um, course. I, I am. I am interested, though, uh, with your 
being not only a director and a choreographer, but with, like you said earlier, having a lot of firsthand knowledge of a lot of the dances that were done during this time period, the Four Seasons are so known for their dance style and a lot of their moves are so iconic with the songs. How do you blend necessarily what they did historically with also one modernizing it for a musical theater stage, which is obviously different than what they were doing at the time, but then also well, challenging I'll tell your you something. Yeah. I'll tell you a secret. The four seasons never danced. Really? Sergio Trujillo made the four seasons dance. That's fair. Yeah. 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 The four seasons were kind of in my, you know, my memory of them where they were a little square and a little still <laughs> um, they were, you know, and I grew up in Detroit. So I grew up watching little Stevie wonder and the temptations and the whole Motown culture. And I believe that the Jersey boys musical decided to capitalize on what would the four seasons have danced if they danced. It's more that than I'm going to have to go back that, and watch YouTube videos then. Cause I, you're right. It's like the, the Mandela effect that I've just so got that ingrained in yeah, my head, you know, but it you're is yeah. thinking of Jersey boys. You're not thinking of the band. Yeah, so if you go down the YouTube rabbit hole and Google all the four seasons recordings that you can find, you'll be very surprised. So what I've done is I've approached the story in, an, in a narrative choreographic way, meaning that, yes, they may be doing popular steps of the day, but we have a kind of what I do as a choreographer and as a director is create a physical score for the show. You know, we we are working in a time now where we have swings and understudies and it's very likely they're going to go on. So how do they learn the show? And I, I call it a physical score where they where they physically do everything that their, their character, their understudying does. Right. So I create movement that's based in behavior. And yes, at times they're going to look like they're simply doing cool steps but we've talked about the step and why that step is existing in that particular song. So maybe in a song like Beggin, you might notice that the dancing is a little harder, a little tougher, a little more muscular. And that in Sherry, maybe they're not doing such muscular movement, but they're doing more lyrical stuff or more jaunty. And you'll, and I tried to fashion the choreography to, uh, lean into the subtext of what the song is doing in the course of the storytelling of the narrative. So I don't want to make it sound academic because it's not, but it's thoughtful, meaning that if someone's doing a pony step, I chose that step. And that's why they're doing it for a reason. And if somebody's doing a hitchhiker step, they're doing it for a reason. So that everything feels organic and natural, but understand that when we rehearse, that's what we do. We dig into the why of everything. And if an actor ever says to me, why am I doing this step? I want to be able to say, because this is celebrating the, this moment, or this is leaning into the despair the character is feeling at this moment. So I try to choose my steps carefully. And at the same time, pack a wallop and give everybody a great big you know, entertainment punch, you know, I want it to be fun and not really think about that necessarily when it's happening, but maybe when they go home, they go, you know, in that begging number, they looked really mad at each other. 
while they were dancing. And I'm, I'll be like, yeah, well, they were. You got it, whether they whether you they know? knew they got it or not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And my work should be invisible in that way. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not it's not meant to call attention to itself. Oh, look at that cool dance, Marsha choreograph. That's not really what it's about. It's about does it feel essential and organic to the characters in the moment? And, you know, I, I like to give my actors permission to make a mess emotionally, <laughs> that they should go in there and, and cultivate every aspect of a fight, of a seduction, of a negotiation, whatever the scene is doing. I encourage them to do it full bodied. And so, you know, hopefully that translates throughout the score in the physical score of the show, not just that a dance step is being executed really well, but that an emotional moment with some behavior helped enhance that moment. That's kind of, I always called myself a behavior driven choreographer more than a step driven choreographer. That's so, fa that's fascinating to me as somebody who has no dance ability whatsoever, but that it's so <laughs> interesting to hear you explain it in that, in that way, because that makes total sense, especially in a musical theater setting when everything is character. And as you said earlier, choice and objective driven, that's, yeah. that's really interesting. I'll, I, I want to wrap up with a, a few broader questions here real sure. quick, but you have done a lot of work at, at Maltz Jupiter before I've seen you do, uh, I've seen your uh, Avita at uh, Ben Vero beach at Riverside, oh, but you've, you, you do so much work around the country, whether it's uh, at the Olney or in Chicago and, and all of these different things. I wonder just now that you're back in Florida and, and doing this, why is especially the east coast of florida why is that a place that you keep coming back to what is it about the maybe the artists you're able to either get from that area or bring down to that area that is is a, a reason to keep coming back to this part of the country well first of all i'm the girl who can't say no so i <laughs> even if i don't know the show or if the show scares me i say yes and then i go figure it out but I have a, a long relationship with um, Andrew Cato from the mm -hmm. day that I first met him. And he tells this story freely, so I can share this with you. As I, I saw that the Maltz Jupiter Theater was casting at a rehearsal studio in New York. I knocked on the door. I said, who's Andrew Cato? And he raised his hand and I said, I'm Marjorie Mogram Dodge and I want to work at your theater. And we've been buddies ever since. And uh, so I... I uh, I love coming down here, obviously, for the, the 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 climate, but I'm in the rehearsal studio all day. So my husband's at the beach. That's nice. And it's <laughs> nice for him. But um, but I do love the local community of performers. I'm always casting, bringing people from New York, but casting lots of locals. And the talent down here is really excellent. And everybody is kind and lovely and good people. And so I'm happy to be in a room with them. Andrew um, runs a very kind uh, environment here at Maltz Jupiter. The, the mantra is talented and kind, and um, we all subscribe to that and do our best to live up to it. Um, Riverside, I've also known Alan Cornell for quite a while. I was actually brought there by um, uh, the managing director who, who used to be there, who's not there anymore, um, Chuck Still. But I've been coming back when I can to... Um, the uh, Riverside Theater as well. I I, I go with I, I love to be in the rehearsal room. I'm a rehearsal preacher. I want to work. I want to keep I want to keep doing what I'm doing until they sort of pull me off the stage. So um, 
I just, I, I love, I love my job. I just am really lucky that I get to do it and I get to do it in such um, wonderful theaters like Malt's Jupiter Theater. Well, it, one of the shows that you are getting a chance to revisit um, this year is the uh, production of Beauty and the Beast that you did with yep. the only theater center that made huge waves when it was first uh, mm-hmm. done last year. And uh, for those people who might not have, have seen everything that went into that production with Jade Jones and uh, Evan Ruggiero, um, why is this a show that one was interesting enough to ticket buyers that made it worthwhile for the only to bring back. But why was it something that you and that company and this cast thought was appropriate to have back on stage for the second year in a row? Oh, well, we were cut short by COVID. So the run abruptly ended last year. Yeah. Even though it was after the initial shutdown, that's right. There was, uh, well, we were postponed. In fact, I hired Evan, on March 10th, 2020. Oh, man. And we were supposed to go into production that fall. And um, so what that extra time did was gave us time to really collaborate and and uh, with Jade and Evan and really create a playing field for them, a set that was conducive to their uh, abilities and um, concerns. And that was a blessing. You know, so I think I'm one of the only people on the planet saying, Thank goodness for that pandemic, because it gave us more time to really flesh out our production and design. We spent a lot of time working on uh, how to uh, approach the beast's prosthetic leg. And we came to the conclusion that he would wear his peg and have had a peg um, not be transformed so that when Belle meets the beast, she meets a, a, a beast with a peg with a peg leg. So that was exciting to explore. Um, I think it was time to tell the story in this way. I just had, when Jason offered me the job, I said, you know, I got to go in there and figure out how to do this. I can't, as a woman, as a mother of a young 20 something, I can't tell this. I can't tell a story that says a, a quote unquote, perfect little person gets together with another perfect little person and live happily ever after. I don't believe that's the definition of beauty. So um, we spent a lot of time exploring what that means. And um, it just became now to me, this is how you do the show. It's like, get the most diverse cast, get, get a, get a character to play the beast who has a backstory. You have to figure out why is he abandoned in this castle and being raised by servants and where are his parents, you know, so Evan and I had deep conversations about what could have happened to this, to, to this boy that turned him into this beast, you know, just not just physically, but emotionally. And so, and with Belle, she comes out, she is the most beautiful person in town and everybody's in awe of her and why she's smart. She's physically her own and she reads books and she, you know, thinks of adventure. She lives with her father, who we also mine some deeper meaning to that relationship. And, you know, we just dug in. We really dug in. It's a fairy tale. There's no, there's no protocol for what a princess looks like and what a beast looks like and what a, what a mean guy in the town who's an arrogant jack Gaston looks like. I mean, this is all, yes, coming from Disney. And we have the images of the cartoon 
of the animated, but this is a fairy tale. And so it was really important for me to find out why we're telling this story now. And it was to me a no brainer. It was like, get Jay Jones. That's our beat. Yeah. That's our bell. And I always wanted to work with Evan. So that was really exciting to call him up and find out he could really sing. He's a tap dancer. Yeah. He's a one legged tap dancer. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely so that was amazing. thrilling. Yeah. So anyway, so come and see us. We're we're doing it again because A, it was selling great. We got cut short and the theater said, you know what, let's do it again. They saved all the props and everything. So here we go. That's great. Yeah. November 9th yeah. through January 1st uh, up at the Olney in, the uh, Olney. in and around Baltimore. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. well, let's wrap it up here with one last question um, about Jersey Boys. We know kind of how you are approaching it and we aren't going to do any spoilers or anything like that. But whether or not somebody has seen Jersey Boys before or not, uh, when they come to Maltz Jupiter to see this, what are you hoping they take away from it? What What is you kind of talked oh, about? I want that. Yeah, I want it to be their Jersey Boys. It's like I saw Jersey Boys at the Maltz Jupiter Theater. That's how you do it. Yeah. That's the one. That's the show I love. That's the show I want to see. Awesome. <laughs> and the that's- thing is, you got to come while we're here because it's only three weeks and then we're gone. So. Please tell your listeners to come to the Maltz Jupiter Theater October 25th to, I think, November 13th. Uh, Yep, October 25th through November 13th. Yeah, it's really short. And come, and if you miss anything the first time you see it, come back and see it again. (laughs) (laughs) Or two, three, four times. (laughs) Or two, three, four times. And bring your family and bring your friends. Yeah, exactly. 